Are you ready to take your leadership and your organization to the next level and beyond? Your competitors will be there before you know it. Today's leaders must perpetually innovate, evolve, and grow faster than the competition. Welcome to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations with Maureen Metcalf. In the next hour, you'll meet innovative leaders who have become successful at the helm of some of the most respected organizations in the world. And you can become the next big success story. Now, here's your host, Maureen Metcalf. Welcome to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. I'm your host, Maureen Metcalf. I'm the CEO and founder of Metcalf & Associates. I work with leaders and their organizations identifying the trends that will most likely disrupt their business and develop business strategies and business and leadership practices to leverage those trends to create strategic advantage. I'm a regular contributor to Forbes and the lead author on an award-winning book series focusing on innovating how you lead and transforming your organization. I am also a keynote speaker and an adjunct faculty member in universities in the U.S. and Germany. I'm delighted that today we are joined by Eric Douglas Keene. Eric is the founder and president of Keene Advisory Group, a boutique retained executive search firm known nationally for impactful client-driven solutions to diverse talent acquisition needs. His firm partners with publicly traded and privately held clients to recruit general management and functional executives. He previously worked at Russell Reynolds Associates and McKinsey & Company. So the goal of this Voice America series is to provide valuable information to emerging leaders and leaders that will help them continue to thrive as they prepare their organization for the dynamic times in which we currently work. The more highly effective leaders we have, the better the journey. Also, I want to invite our global audience to find ways to work together peacefully and effectively across borders and boundaries. We live on a shared planet, and I realize that at sometimes we are less compassionate with one another, and this is a core mission of mine that as global citizens, that I'm not speaking just to folks in any one country, but that truly as leaders, we are a global community helping us solve the world's biggest problems. In addition to sharing models and experience, I invite you to find one thing from each weekly segment that you can put into practice in your leadership or your organization. So think about when was the last time you changed your leadership behaviors? And hopefully if you listened last week, you would say last week. But for many people, we're not changing on a regular basis. And so the invitation is, if we're making small changes every week, then it feels like we're not doing much. And yet at the end of six months or a year, we can be dramatically more effective without the pain of an overhaul Mm -hmm. or a major refresh in our, our approach. So today, lots of reasons to attract and retain a diverse workforce. These range from expanding the talent pool, improving understanding of our customer base, improving productivity, and greater innovation and creativity. These are just a few. Eric's an expert on diversity and leadership, and today he'll share his experience on how companies can attract and retain a diverse talent pool in leadership roles and why they should. So Eric, welcome. Thanks for having me. I appreciate you uh, having me here today. And thank you for driving hours to (laughs) be here in person. So why does, one, how do you define diverse talent? Well, uh, the definition, frankly, has evolved Mm -hmm. uh, in uh, in various ways since my entry into, quote unquote, the industry in the mid to late 90s. My my first experiences in executive search, the diversity question was literally black and white Mm -hmm. and occasionally gender based. Okay. Uh, and that was primarily in North America. As you stepped out of North America, uh, the conversation changed slightly to that of not necessarily race, but ethnicity, but definitely gender in the forefront. Okay. And those were competing issues uh, of of what we found to be increasing importance throughout the past, you know, 15, 20 years. Okay. You now look at the landscape, and we talk about diversity and inclusion, frankly, mm-hmm, which is something mm-hmm. that was not part of the, uh, the conversation necessarily back mm-hmm. you know, uh, in the earlier stages of this, of this journey. And you think about now race, but combined with ethnicity and knowing that there are differences based upon country or region. Mm-hmm. The, uh, the gender issue is still quite prevalent. 
religion, nationality, separate from ethnicity, separate from race, ah, okay. is something that you So I should, could be American Jewish versus Jerusalem Jewish. Absolutely. Or you know, Muslim. Given the uh, conversation of the times, age, you know, the constant mm-hmm. chatter about millennials. What, are the, what does it mean to have them in the workplace? Mm-hmm. We've got multiple generations in a common workplace now. Well, and, and here's something as we talk about disruption in the workforce. Mm-hmm. If technology goes as it is, we're going to have people work until they're 100. Agreed. Agreed. <laughs> we're worried about millennials. <laughs> well, I, I think the millennial component addresses and actually speaks to a variety of issues of broader diversity. Mm-hmm. The way that we engage, the way that we think about diversity, uh, they are fundamentally changing. And, and, and what does that mean? It means that you know their motivation, their expectations are fundamentally different than the generations before. Mm-hmm. And we have to make a decision as to whether we're going to try to accommodate that in the existing workplace or, or battle that and try to fold or bend them to our will, per se. And <laughs> darn it, this is how we did it. And, and you need to do it, too. I'm guessing that's not going to be so effective. <laughs> well, I have a rolling hypothesis and I'm open to uh, some revisions to this. But I think millennials will end up working for multiple companies, of course, throughout mm-hmm. their career, yeah. but not disproportionately more. And why I think that is because the technology and the corporate culture is going to evolve and shift to, frankly, accommodate their technological savvy and, and, and development in a way that was not necessary for our generation. I think the relationships between employees and employer are evolving and they're going to change. Uh, let me uh, cut to the side here. Millennials actually get it in a way that very senior retired executives with runway also get it. And what I mean specifically is that they view the world as a portfolio instead mm, of a, mm-hmm. a, a, a one-size-fits-all. The senior executive, mid-50s, he or she has had a very successful run and perhaps has cashed out through a, through a private equity event. And they mm-hmm. feel like they've got you know, 10 good years, 15 more years perhaps mm-hmm. you know, you know, of runway in front of them. Classically speaking, from an executive search standpoint, these individuals are showing up on our radar talking about their next corporate gig. I want to be the CEO of a bigger company, or I want to be the COO of a bigger company next time through, given my performance and mm-hmm. what I've proven you know, to my stockholders, to my stakeholders. Mm-hmm. Increasingly, that's not the case. Increasingly, their lives look more like a portfolio theory. You're going to sit on two or three boards. Mm-hmm. You're going to get involved with a nonprofit or a foundation that you and your spouse or your family have some passion around. You're going to consult and you're going to start watching your grandkids grow <laughs> and spend time with that. So that is a luxury that's perceived as a luxury for, for those who have, quote unquote, won the corporate game. But the fact of the matter is the millennials came into the workforce with that exact same attitude. They don't look for one company to define who they are or what they're about. I work at Starbucks because they have good benefits and I can control my hours. I also consult with the international team on weekends on a variety of topics that you know I may have studied as an undergrad. And I play in a band. And oh, by the <laughs> way, I do Uber two weekends a month to save up for a trip to Europe or to South America that I go on once every six months. And they're content with that. Matter of fact, they're, they're elated. They're excited about the prospects of having that flexibility and doing what they want to do and not necessarily being beholden to a track that has a brass ring at the end of it in a very mm-hmm. deliberate manner. Especially when they've seen parents not win the brass ring. Not win cases. or be so miserable in yeah. getting there that they're asking themselves, was this worth it? Was having a bigger house in a nicer suburb and a third car and a second home all worth it, given the dysfunction, angst, and pain that we felt growing up? So one of our interviews recently was about the gig economy and the idea that there are folks coming out of college, that's where they're starting. They're not starting with a traditional corporate job. They have this portfolio, to your point, from day one. And, and a lot of that is, I think, based upon their, their experiences growing up. It's not just, it's not simply they go off to college and become indoctrinated into this new way of life and then mm-hmm. go out into the world and project that. No, this is, you know, from childhood through high school and, and again, seeing mm-hmm. and experiencing some of the benefits but downsides of, of the corporate angst, the corporate grind, uh, mm-hmm. and, and having that flexibility to, you know, to your point hold down a variety of gigs, and there's no judgment associated with it. Mm -hmm. It, Our generation would have felt as though they had failed. 
if, well, they, if, they, if they went home to live with their parents. Oh, yeah. But we did it in some, I mean, we still had a steady paycheck, but we did it as consultants. Right. You right. were with McKinsey and I was with, back then, Coopers and Librand. Sure. Uh, the difference is what is the end game? And if they've already decided that I'm not interested in being a partner, so I'm not even going to make that grind. I don't yeah. even want to, I yeah. don't want to pretend. I don't want to play the game with you. Mm-hmm. What I want are experiences that I might be able to leverage as an individual or that are consistent with my morals and values. Mm-hmm. And then I'm going to move on. I, I recently sat with a variety of law firm and accounting firm administrators okay. uh, set up through one of my advisory group members. And we spoke about and discussed the the millennial problem. And, mm-hmm. and one of the individuals was just flummoxed over, you know, these, these millennials don't want to come with the partners and go out and visit clients and have this interaction. Uh, how are they ever going to become partners? And you know, we flipped it around and said, well, frankly, they're not interested in becoming partners. They, what, they, what's the firm structure going to have to look like right, 10 years from now? To accommodate the type of client work that, uh, that they're doing. It will ultimately uh, need to have a lot more flexibility, and the whole definition of what it means to be a partner is, is probably going to change. So back to then the question of diversity, it's all kinds of variations, and the one I didn't hear was also gender identity. Yes, yeah, so sexual preference and, and sexual identification is, is absolutely a component of, of the common discussion mm-hmm. nowadays. And there's always the tension when you have these types of discussions and you go mainstream with these types of discussions. Mm-hmm. You know, for better or for worse, there's a lot of, quote unquote, flyover or middle America that doesn't see these issues front and center, doesn't, uh, and it doesn't mean they don't exist. They just may not have the common language or understanding or appreciation of what they are. Mm-hmm. So there's always going to be a, a rough patch of, of educating, of mm-hmm. exposing and then hopefully uh, creating a world where, if not accepted, then at least tolerate it mm-hmm. and, and understood that your privilege and rights are comparable to mine. And, and this has mm-hmm. to work in conjunction with each other, not to the exclusion of someone else. So that is a great lead into what's the business case? Why, as an employer, if it's easier to have all people who look like me, mm-hmm. Why do I want to do the difficult step of managing millennials and people from different ethnic and religious backgrounds? That just sounds like a bunch of trouble. Well, yes. <laughs> yes and no. So the, 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 the truth behind the, the push, the emphasis in this arena is a broader concept or a broader mm. conversation about innovation and staying ahead mm-hmm. of what's happening in front of you. There's an intuitive do the right thing component to this, yeah, which, which is of kind course. of the legacy. Well, actually, the legacy was very structured in terms of, of you must have and it needs to look like. And then there's the intuitive do the right thing. That falls into a, a, a trap of doing the right thing versus doing what's good for the business. And moving beyond the intuitive components of this, it actually turns out that companies, when indexed on racial, gender, ethnic diversity in their leadership teams score better in terms of their their earnings and their revenues versus companies that index midstream on the average. In the other direction, companies that index at the lower quartile show below par performance. Now, correlation is not causation, right? We understand that. Mm -hmm. But we suspect that companies that are deliberate about developing diverse leadership are demonstrating to all their stakeholders, clients, shareholders, employees, Mm -hmm. customers, that they're interested in building culture. And in building culture, that's where they receive the ancillary benefits of being able to identify with customers better, employee satisfaction, executive decision-making, which is inclusive. In these days, managing risk and unanticipated risks uh, with with a group of people who don't all come from the exact same education and background, mm-hmm. and then winning the war for talent. You know, it's interesting. I'm working with a client right now, engineering firm, and they have struggled to recruit diverse talent because the folks coming out of engineering colleges have mainly looked like white and or Indian men. Mm-hmm. And listening to the owner of the firm, and they have 600 engineers, so they're in multiple states, Talk about, to your point, it's the right thing to do. We need to be able to relate with our clients, and our clients are diverse, especially when you're talking about municipalities, and they want us to look like them. We have to be able to interact with the people whom we serve. In the communities in which they serve them. Yeah. Absolutely. 
So on that note, we've now established the business case for <laughs> diverse talent. And for many of the, us, this was, we knew it, but it still seems important. When I started preparing the script, I actually did some research to find what, what I could find documented sure. about diversity. Because I've been, a for folks who know me, I've been a fan of all, served on boards and other things to promote diversity. And yet... For listeners, you've you've said there are some people, it's just not something they've considered. So we will be back momentarily. Eric Douglas Keene, Maureen Metcalf, Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Metcalf & Associates is your trusted partner to create perpetual innovation and evolution in your leadership and business. Are you ready to innovate and evolve? Since its inception, Metcalf & Associates has been dedicated to helping leaders evolve their leadership mindset and skills and create organizations that can continually innovate to achieve results in a highly competitive and rapidly changing environment. We help leaders, management teams, and organizations identify and create the perpetual capacity to identify and implement transformative solutions necessary to meet their mission and create strategic advantage. Metcalf & Associates offers proven results backed by leading-edge research and a global network of accomplished consultants and thought leaders. Visit Metcalf-Associates.com. Maureen and her associates are ready to discuss your needs and tailor a solution to meet your goals. Move forward with Metcalf & Associates. Visit Metcalf-Associates.com today. We hear it and read about it every day in the news. America is heading over a fiscal cliff. Home prices are still receding and unemployment growing. How can you preserve and increase your wealth in this kind of economy? Tune in to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with host Jay Taylor. Jay will explain the decline of our monetary system and the economy and will give you winning investment ideas and the tools to protect and increase your wealth. Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor can be heard Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll-free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. To reach Maureen Metcalf or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to info at metcalf-associates.com. Now, back to this week's program. Welcome back to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. You are joining Maureen Metcalf and Eric Douglas Keene, and we are talking about diverse talent. So most of your recruiting is focused on senior leadership roles. Again, why are companies investing so heavily in highly diverse leaders? Well, investing in diverse leadership is really a commentary on your corporate culture, as we okay. alluded to a little bit earlier. Mm-hmm. Your, your company's views, written or just as importantly, unwritten mm-hmm. uh, on this issue, are at the core of your organization's capabilities and an understanding of how they conduct business and, and frankly how they win in, in the mm-hmm. business world. Mm-hmm. If you if you look at most companies, vision and mission statements, even for companies that are, are very laser focused on a niche product or service, they all tend to advocate getting to the best answer, the best solution mm-hmm. on behalf mm-hmm. of, you know, their clientele. Mm-hmm. And and frankly I just continue to believe that companies that are uh, intentional on developing diverse leadership get those answers quicker, better, faster mm-hmm, than mm-hmm. companies that don't. 
Actually, I wrote a paper with a Harvard prof a while back talking about how diverse groups, and in this case, it wasn't based on uh, appearance, but diverse perspectives, really drove organizational success. And, and some of that was age. Some of it was, so I should have a person in the room who is has a developmental maturity, so maturity in my thinking and problem solving. Someone who has more years on the planet. Sure. So just, I may be brilliant, but if I'm 22, I haven't <laughs> seen it all. <laughs> well, and there are arguments surrounding this issue mm -hmm. in, in a lot of different directions. Uh, you think about the case study methodology used at Harvard, and, and that is tried and true and has been you know, a, a dominant force in business school education for, for mm -hmm. decades, you know, probably closing in on a century. And you know, the advantage is, uh, use the baseball analogy, it's giving your students at-bats, mm -hmm. right? So mm -hmm. if you see enough cases, you start to be able to lump them into categories and, oh, I know what the issue is here. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm until you're faced with something that you didn't do a case on and and all of your colleagues that you also hired from harvard didn't do a case on <laughs> and now you've got you know all of the all the the one the foundations of, of a groupthink scenario that mm -hmm. might be uh emerging in in the decision making of the senior management and you'll see this in boards as well yeah you know, boards that are that are heavily skewed with insiders boards that are heavily skewed with friends and family so to say of mm -hmm. the ceo who all think and act and look alike and belong to the same common clubs same. and it's not just strategic in terms of where the company should go there is a very large uh, and increase in an evolving risk component to the world that we live in from cybersecurity to compliance issues to you know international experiences all of which require fundamentally different vantage points different viewpoints mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and that plays out in the, in the academic studies as well in terms of having a woman or people of color on your board mm -hmm. and, and the robust nature of the decisions that you're able to make. Sometimes, oftentimes, you're, you're actually landing on the same decision. It's how you get there. How defensible is it? Do you understand mm -hmm. why you're getting there? When challenged or when things don't go to course, mm -hmm. uh, do you have an understanding and an appreciation of different views that will let you adapt, let you evolve? in mm -hmm. a way that you could have perhaps simply got to the decision, but without the, uh, without the background work, without the investment, mm -hmm. really understanding mm -hmm. what's going on. So you brought up something that I think is important and not everyone understands, and I, obviously being female, it used to annoy me that people would assume that I had any different capability than a dude, <laughs> right? Like I, I went to college, I got a bunch right. of experience. Why are you pointing out my gender? And yet, there is a reason, a, a well-justified reason, why a man of color and person of female gender might see the world differently. So, can you speak to that a well, little sure. bit? Sure, it's it's your experiences and the again the dialogue, uh, the the conversation around mm -hmm. race and gender and diversity is evolving. It is not static itself. So right. you uh, you have to invest in, in trying to stay current. Yeah, no the, one asks me to get them coffee anymore. <laughs> <laughs> and they did early in my career, and I cigarettes. Had, <laughs> I had keys passed to me because I was assumed to be the valet one time. Yeah. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so from my experience, it went from, and you'd hear senior management coached around, I don't see color. Everyone's the same to me. Everyone is genderless to me. I don't care. I just want you to know that you can do the work mm -hmm, and, and do mm -hmm. it well to our standard within this company, period. Yeah. And that's really changed. Now, I very much want to be acknowledged as an African-American male, and you could put me into these buckets, and I'm comfortable with that because it's you acknowledging my experience. And as long as you acknowledge and respect my experience and I'm delivering against the metrics that you've put forth, that's truly a, a two-way dialogue as mm -hmm. compared to me trying to conform and, and, and be a married white male suburban you know, mm -hmm. parent, mm -hmm. you know, which I'm not. And, and the same thing <laughs> along the lines yeah. of, of gender. You know, I mm -hmm. don't want you to, to, to be a guy. I want you to, to be a woman, bring those perspectives and, and have the same core skill sets necessarily to do the work. Mm -hmm. But that perspective is what it, it, it takes content and turns it into context. Right. And the content mm -hmm. is increasingly the easy part of what's happening in the workplace. You know, the, the technology is making sure that that happens. I can Google and research topics that it used to take days, weeks, months mm -hmm. to research mm -hmm. in minutes now. It's the same information, though. And at the end of the day, I have to then bring context 
to that information. Mm-hmm. People with diverse experiences, backgrounds, bring the context piece in a way that is beneficial to organizations. So I think that's really important to recognize the shift that you've said from everyone's all the same. Right. You're over six feet tall, I'm slightly over five feet tall. We have seen the world slightly differently. But that plays out in your experiences. You yeah. know, anything from what I, you think about a, a customer experience uh, when I rent a car versus when you rent a car? I don't intimidate people. No one is scared of me, <laughs> <laughs> right? I, I, walking down the street at night, I am afraid of other people. You are probably not. Well, uh, unless they have guns. There's a, well, there's a healthy fear of any stranger, independent mm-hmm. of who you are. Uh, I, I have been witness to uh, people clutching their purses as they walk by me, and that's just something that you have to accept as a as an African American in, in in America in in certain neighborhoods at certain times. That's that's reality. And you have to worry about getting pulled over by the police. I've I've been driving and walking while black in my life, so <laughs> <laughs> I've experienced both, uh, and, and, and that's a sidebar conversation. But 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 that is real, and that does shape my perspective. Mm-hmm. You know, so when faced with a situation with a scenario, you know, I'm bringing that to bear on on mm-hmm. those situations, uh, and. And there are times when I can provide insight or perhaps a rationale for a behavior that is going on that typical analysis may not provide. And again, I think, you know, we laugh about it. You do have a different perspective than I do. And both are important. Both are valued, both are valid. When, and as a group, while it is harder to come to a collective decision when you have different points of view, the probability that it's a solid, well-founded decision is much higher when you look at those perspectives. I would support that at the macro level, absolutely. Uh, I'm sure there is some research around uh, decision-making in a closed-loop environment mm-hmm. where it's simply a speed-based decision, and, and those things, when you have a group of like-minded, similarly educated, can come to that decision, and if that's how you win, great. But increasingly, the world is an open format, and we have to adjust to it. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, when we think of, you, you keep pointing to risk, and I think that's an important component that, yeah, if it's just wash and repeat, then do what you did. But not much in my world is wash and repeat anymore. Right, right. And even the most stayed here in Ohio, Procter & Gamble is, is mm-hmm. under uh, scrutiny from, uh, from quote-unquote activist investors. Mm. Uh, and uh, I think they, they posit in, in their 100-page manifesto many stayed and true and traditional and, you know, mm-hmm. wash, repeat types of activities that, mm-hmm. frankly, is... Uh, Frank is not exploiting the advantages that they have, and and could there be ways to to unlock value in a Procter and Gamble by by being more innovative, by seeing the world differently than not just simply doing the same thing over and over again mm-hmm. in the same manner. And I would hypothesize yes, but I haven't studied their hundred page manifesto. <laughs> so now let's shift to culture. So you talked about attracting diverse mm-hmm. candidates. Sure. Once you've hired them, then there's the retention question. Yeah, and, and retention and recruiting are interrelated but different. And, and from, from my vantage point as an executive recruiter, we, we have a perspective on these things, yes. of, of course. <laughs> Which is why you and I are talking about that rather than <laughs> something else. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. So it's hard to retain what you can't recruit. I was going to say that, but I was, <laughs> I'm glad so, you said it. So you know, yeah. <laughs> I, I'll put it out there that you need to have some people before you can actually retain them. And when you're able to bring people on board, you're then able to have such, it's a more robust discussion. What, what happens is CEO looks at his or her executive team, it's typically a him, looks at his executive team, says, why don't we have more of X, Y, or Z? Beats some people up over the head, mm-hmm. they run off into the organization and they come back a quarter later or six months later, a year later, and they still don't have more of X, Y, and Z. Mm-hmm. He or she is taking heat from the press, from you know the analysts, mm-hmm. and trying to work backwards and problem solve. And, and one of the most basic problems is, are we hiring and can't keep, or are we never hiring in the first place? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and, and we are you know, seminal in the, let's, let's get them hired in the first place, and then you could start problem solving around, okay, if we've agreed that we've got qualified candidates and we've agreed that we've been able to get them on board, mm-hmm. why aren't they staying more than a year, three years, five years, relative to their majority mm-hmm, peers? Mm-hmm. In some scenarios, there are very legitimate reasons. In other scenarios, you can start working backwards and saying, this is a company-specific or a function-specific issue within our mm-hmm. company. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
that can now be addressed. You can now deconstruct that. And is it something about our expectations? Are they only pedigree and quote unquote experience based and not skill derived? I think you alluded to this a little bit earlier, you know, in terms of how we think about hiring and, and, and how we bring people on board. A lot of what I do is deconstruct the myth around what are the prerequisites for a role. Okay. So in a conversation with a client, well, they need to have an Ivy League degree or an mm-hmm. MBA. Mm-hmm. Understood. And we'll talk about the other components mm-hmm. of the job. Mm-hmm. And then I'll come back and say, well, why is it do you feel that they need to have an Ivy League degree? Well, it's these five factors. You know, it's mm-hmm. going to be who they know. They they belong to the right clubs. They, they know the right families in this city. Mm-hmm. You know, they're going to have access. Wonderful. Because Ivy League schools are a proxy for those capabilities. Mm-hmm. But if I found those capabilities and could demonstrate them mm-hmm. outside of an Ivy League MBA, would you consider that candidate? Oh, sure. And when you frame it that way, mm-hmm. you know, it's a far more compelling and understanding between you know, the recruiter and, and the client. Mm-hmm. So you're looking for well-connected. And we all have those, right? You say college degree because it's a proxy for something. Exactly. There's simply not enough time to interview everyone about everything. So Mm -hmm. by definition, a resume is a representation. It's it's the old school avatar for yourself, right? Okay. (laughs) So you put forth your resume as a representation of yourself, and you're hopefully giving leading indicators on your resume the capabilities of driving, you know, a, a further discussion, a further interview, you know, a successful hire for job. Mm-hmm. So how do you connect or do you when when you're retained as a search consultant? Mm-hmm. Are you looking at the culture of the company and trying to find someone that in addition to meeting all of the the criteria and the cost and all that stuff, are there specifics about culture that you recruit for? I don't know if there are specifics about culture, but there are components of culture that are duly doted in our process. Okay. I, I run a boutique and I have the flexibility to work with who I want to, which is mm-hmm. part of the power of running a boutique, as you know. <laughs> that doesn't mean that we shy away from challenging clients, and mm-hmm. we have some very challenging clients at times, clients that work in industries that are not renowned for their efforts in and around diversity. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And you know, most of, or I'll put it this way, I, I think it's a recruiter's job to understand that mm-hmm. and to accurately communicate that both back to your client, but mm-hmm. also back to the marketplace. So the candidate pool as well. I tend to, to be a little bit more critical on the front end of the process. Mm-hmm. And therefore, you're not dealing with these issues on the back end. Okay. So for example, in speaking to a, you know, a senior level candidate, person of color and they say Eric how is it there I've had conversations around it's not good (laughs) it's not good but here's why I think they understand the why Mm -hmm. the leadership has communicated to me that they are interested in making improvements but it's a challenge and the candidate now is empowered Mm -hmm. they've got the recruiter telling them candidly Mm -hmm. what's going on and they can say Eric I've been the only one in the room before I guess I don't have that kind of run in me anymore. I'm tired of that. Fair. Other candidates, when faced with the same issues, come back and say, you know what, if it's a good opportunity, if I can stack hands with my spouse on the move, let's do it and see where this takes us. But that's a recruiter's job. We should be getting that information and sharing it both directions with the clients and the candidates. I've certainly and often been the only woman in the room. Mm -hmm. Just par for the course right. now. Absolutely. So if you said there's a great role, you're the only female. Yeah. And and again, it, it is all within your purview to say, not again. I've fought that fight and, and perhaps not this time. Or, you know what? I've done it before. So let's, you know, roll up the sleeves and get after it. It'd be weird to be among a lot of women. <laughs> <laughs> Which is a different dynamic that yeah. we can address in future correspondence. Uh, you know, the now that there are a lot of women in the room, how does it change when women are used to simply dealing with a men. whole bunch of men. Yeah. Right? There, think, there's something I think there are... easy about dealing with men in some ways. <laughs> right. Well, predictable. And look, the stereotypes can play both ways. You learn how to work alongside mm-hmm. corporate men. And you know, I've heard from female colleagues of mine, especially senior level women's groups, mm-hmm. advocacy groups, and how sometimes it's a challenge when it's a room full of women. And you know, they're, they're used to cozying up and working with and managing the men in the room. And without that presence, you know, can can lead to some interesting scenarios. <laughs> <laughs> so on, on that note, well, and, and just to wrap that segment, the important point is that we as candidates, 
need to understand the dynamics of what we're walking into. Sure, absolutely. And, uh, you know, it's never as bad or never as good as, as it's portrayed. You have to do your own homework in addition to what you're hearing from the company, what you're hearing mm-hmm. from the recruiter. Uh, and, and ideally, you're trying to make an informed decision when, when someone presents an opportunity to you. And you and I both work largely with senior leaders, and you kind of assume they know what they're doing, for the most part. <laughs> Agreed. <laughs> So this is Maureen Metcalf and Eric Douglas Keene. We will be right back. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Metcalf & Associates is your trusted partner to create perpetual innovation and evolution in your leadership and business. Are you ready to innovate and evolve? Since its inception, Metcalf & Associates has been dedicated to helping leaders evolve their leadership mindset and skills and create organizations that can continually innovate to achieve results in a highly competitive and rapidly changing environment. We help leaders, management teams, and organizations identify and create the perpetual capacity to identify and implement transformative solutions necessary to meet their mission and create strategic advantage. Metcalf & Associates offers proven results backed by leading-edge research and a global network of accomplished consultants and thought leaders. Visit Metcalf-Associates.com. Maureen and her associates are ready to discuss your needs and tailor a solution to meet your goals. Move forward with Metcalf & Associates. Visit Metcalf-Associates.com today. Today we live in a truly global environment. Business can more easily be conducted now in almost any part of the world. How do you, as a business owner or professional, navigate the ever-changing business landscape? Tune in to Leadership Beyond Borders with host Kimberly J. Lewis. With a worldwide resource of guests, you'll find out what opportunities and challenges surround diverse and virtual organizations. Listen live every Tuesday at 3 p.m. U.S. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. To reach Maureen Metcalf or her guest today, Please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to info at metcalf-associates.com. Now, back to this week's program. Welcome back to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. You're joining Maureen Metcalf and Eric Douglas Keene, and we are talking about diversity recruiting and retention. So, Eric, your firm's tagline, diversify access to executive talent. Clearly uh, a dual meaning there, broadly speaking, in terms of choice of firm, but then also choice in candidates as well. So uh, choose a different firm, get different candidates. Uh, If everything is fine with your executive search process and you feel as though you're getting access to the right candidates that are truly available, so be it. But but we we have some opinions about how that should operate and how that looks. So that's the lead into what are those opinions, Eric? <laughs> our, <laughs> Please share. Our, sure, sure. <laughs> our firm operates at the highest level uh, on a simple premise involving collaboration and inclusion. When you say highest level. So it, it's, it is our vision statement, our, our reason mm-hmm. for existence. Instead of the either or mantra that is you know, so pervasive in business and, and politics right now, mm-hmm. uh, we focus <laughs> on both and. Mm-hmm. And I actually uh, borrowed that from the chief diversity officer and, and tenured professor of English at Case Western Reserve, Dr. Marilyn Mobley, someone that you should absolutely know. But mm-hmm. uh, we, I was in her office one day and we got into a heated discussion. She said, Eric, I'm a both and kind of 
a girl instead of either or. And I said, mm-hmm. I'm using that. That absolutely captures <laughs> the essence of what we're about. So, you know, everyone has their own worldview, you know, and bias. Another mm-hmm. term for worldview mm-hmm. is my bias, the way that I look at the world, which shapes how they go about their business. In my case, I'm a very top-down problem solver by the training that, you know, you and I have both had, typically starting with a hypothesis. You know, mm-hmm. and our hypothesis at the end of the day is that if we are retained to work for a client and bring them the best qualified candidates, that throughout that process, we really should be able to identify women and people of color as part of that process. We Mm -hmm. just simply believe that to be true. And if you're working with internal recruiters or sourcing agents or external search firms, and you're not seeing women and people of color as part of your candidate slates, you you should be asking pretty tough questions about why that's the case. Mm -hmm. So that is something that permeates everything that we do. This is not a play for diversity for diversity's sake. We would simply put forth that if you are trying to find the best talent, then we should make sure that you are seeing the best talent that is available. Mm-hmm. And again, we assume that the best talent or hypothesis is the best talent comes across a range of backgrounds, experiences, the range of, of, of capabilities and, and insights that, that you're looking for for a senior management team or a senior management position in this case. You know, what's, what's nuanced about our firm are, are a couple of things, really fueled by the hypothesis that I put forth. You know, we tactically leverage, you know, a few advantages, you know, as we go out to do what we do, which is, mm-hmm. you know, help, you know, identify and, and, and attract and, and ultimately hire executives. From an inclusion and access standpoint, I would say, first of all, we know where to look. Mm-hmm. And, and knowing where to look sounds pretty straightforward, but there's some nuances there. Two companies comparable industry, comparable revenues. You can read the Wall Street analyst reports on these companies Mm -hmm. and they'll tell you about the same thing. We expect company A to perform this way, company B to perform this way, similar. Well, you know, as we kind of wink at each other and know, even though Wall Street may have a common view of these two companies, I knew coming out of college or you knew coming out of college about a company that kind of got it, Mm -hmm. a company that didn't get it. Uh, along the lines of gender fairness or diversity Mm -hmm, or racial mm -hmm, issues. mm -hmm. What I'm putting forth is that women, people of color, immigrants were the original social networks. So before we had the medium of today, Mm -hmm, you know, from Facebook to LinkedIn, you know, we were the ones who would tap somebody and say, hey, you know, who do you know know there? Or on the flip side, be careful when you go that way because they're not known for for being friendly to to our type. So... Mm -hmm. You have to, if, if diversity and inclusion is important to you as a recruiter, mm-hmm. you have to have some working knowledge of where to go. So the, the, the mafia of, <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, we talk about the big six mafia. Or the, oh, oh uh, sure. Uh, so having, McKinsey Network. Exactly, exactly. So being, being in the know about where to go mm-hmm. is an important first step uh, mm-hmm. for a recruiter that's trying to bring all the candidates that are qualified mm-hmm. available. Mm-hmm. So knowing where to go. The second piece of it is, frankly, who's doing the work? A lot of larger firms talk about their diversity capabilities, and you might even see a diverse partner pitching business to you. But then once the business is earned, who's actually doing the Mm day-to-day? And and that's where I think that we can differentiate, because even though I am am the founder of the company, uh, I'm a player coach. You know, I tell mm-hmm. folks that I wake up in the morning and I still make donuts. Now, I might sell donuts in the afternoon, but I still make donuts. And I think my involvement and all of my advisory group members' involvement in the projects that they undertake creates a certain level of accountability and insight that leads to a better product at the end of the day. And that's one of the benefits of being with a boutique firm. Sure. Right, that, that the person who sells the work... Is, is doing the work, knows what's going on. I'm, mm-hmm. not, I'm not flipping that to a junior colleague to run meetings. Mm-hmm. I have typically, uh, and, and you know this, I have typically come to see you in person. This is not flyover country, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I will come see you in, in these cities. Whereas, unfortunately, a lot of the bigger firms, their model dictates that their senior most people are more sales and marketing oriented mm-hmm. Than, mm-hmm. than any execution. And, and that leads to a lot of phone calls to a lot of clients that you've never met. You know, my colleague's mm-hmm. friend knows you guys, but I don't know you personally. And in some scenarios that works, but there are other scenarios, especially in my opinion, if you're interested in seeing all of the candidates that are available per our hypothesis, getting to know the folks in person is, is very, very important. 
the last component of this is you know the off-limits restrictions which some of it is intuitive and some of it is not off-limits basically means especially from a professional services standpoint you would not go into an existing client on behalf of another client of course right, right. well you say of course <laughs> and the larger firms wrestle with that issue because of the sheer volume mm -hmm. uh, and trying to sustain themselves. Mm -hmm. uh, some of the larger firms are publicly traded, so they've got quarterly numbers to hit, mm -hmm. and they're looking at how to manage these relationships and, and saying, well, we're, we already work with seven out of the 10 top companies in this industry. Mm -hmm. If I'm a client and I'm the eighth company, are you really going to go into those seven other companies on my behalf? as a new client of yours. Mm -hmm. And if you do, are you really going to put your back into it the way that I would expect you to, given the money that we're paying you? That's a challenge. And will you then come raid us? Right, exactly. And, and, and if you do that for us, then are you going to do that for them with us? So that creates a challenge. And the mm -hmm. bigger firms would push back and say, well, we make up on that with volume, right? We've got a global reach. But you can immediately see how challenging that is mm -hmm. if you're interested in diversity. Mm-hmm. When you put those constraints on the problem, you're now taking, which is arguably a smaller pool in the first mm -hmm, place, mm -hmm. and now shrinking it even more based upon some of the earlier points we made about knowing where to go and saying, that's a company we want to go into. Oh, my colleague in New York is already working with that client, so I can't mm -hmm. go in there. Well, all those candidates then disappear. But that was a great place to find diverse candidates. Hmm, that's a challenge. There's also what is referred to, and this is less known, candidate off-limits. Candidate off-limits implies that we're talking to someone in a clandestine manner, so you're gainfully employed and you've mm -hmm. been approached by an executive recruiter. It's good business not to simultaneously introduce you to two separate clients of mine on two separate projects. Because you're, you're tempting the gods at that point, and the minute <laughs> that you do that, both clients are going to say, we're interested in that person, and now you've got to tell client A that they're more or less important than client B which clients don't like to hear. No, neither did dates. <laughs> <laughs> so so when, when in those, faced with those scenarios, again, if someone is an active candidate on one of my colleagues' searches, I can't speak you, to them. Okay, and so. again, you could try to make that up on volume and global reach, but again, if you're interested in diversity, you see how challenging this now makes it for some of the larger firms to really get after, get into, and bring diverse candidates to the table. They may not know necessarily where to go to start off. Mm -hmm. They don't maintain that informal social network. They don't necessarily have the most senior people executing or working on the searches. Mm -hmm. And then between the company and individual off-limit restraints, it's not surprising that you get the same cast of characters, the usual suspects at the end of the search. As a boutique, we know where to go. We have senior level involvement in all of our searches and we're not conflicted out because of the volume of work that we do. So we're going to be able to get into and access all of the companies, all of the candidates that would normally be available for a process. And you and each of your associates, I'm assuming have spent decades exactly. building these networks. Exactly. So we're able to leverage those networks, not just in terms of who we know, but then we're able to translate those connections into real living, breathing candidates. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I think in a way that a lot of the larger firms, uh, you know, will stumble, mm -hmm. uh, stumble around. It's just, it's just not good economics for them oftentimes mm -hmm. to pay extra attention to matters of diversity. Mm -hmm. You know, there are, uh, you know, there are smaller firms, uh, boutiques in my mm -hmm. industry who, who would make similar claims, you know, along the lines of, of being able to bring diverse talent to the table, but I, I think they, they're challenged in some different ways. Mm -hmm. As I alluded to before, I, I am a, I'm a McKinsey consultant alum coming out mm -hmm. of the Russell Reynolds. I'm a top-down kind of guy. I, I problem solve and deconstruct. And, and one, of the, one of the experiences, one of many, uh, coming out of McKinsey, coming out of Russell Reynolds, is that when I started my boutique, uh, I invested in the infrastructure around a database, uh, which is unfortunately not something that a lot of boutiques will mm -hmm, do. Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of boutiques out there operate purely off of, hey, I know a guy. Mm -hmm. Oh, you should use my firm. Why? Oh, I know a guy. And that's, that's great until you don't know a guy. 
And then what happens? Hmm. And we've built a relationship, <laughs> and you're my go-to <laughs> right. recruiting firm. You're, it's not just I know a guy once, right? but I now, you are my firm. Exactly, exactly. So in the I know a guy scenario, it's fine until you don't know a guy, and then you, and then you have to fall back on what? What we've been able to do, and again, my training at the larger firm, top-down, we create the infrastructure that's a, that is something beyond a, a, a LinkedIn account and Microsoft contacts, and then we still maintain traditional in-house uh, research. Mm -hmm. So research in our industry is deconstructing target companies and coming back with ideas and recommendations. And, and what happens is that if you've got the, the mechanical component of it, the research, the database, along with the networks, Mm -hmm. that we alluded to before. Mm -hmm. When the search is going well, both sets of activities start giving up the same mm -hmm. names. And mm -hmm. that's when you know mm -hmm. you're onto something. And that's okay. what it's great. When I'm talking to my researcher, like, here are the five people that have bubbled up from our end. Oh, that's funny. My I know those guys. Are, uh, yes. <laughs> that, that's, that's market confirmation that we're talking mm -hmm. to the right people. Okay. Mm -hmm. So as we wrap up, let's make sure people know how to reach you. And your firm, not just oh, you. Oh, sure. So, uh, again, Keen Advisory Group. Uh, we're based out of Chicago, Illinois, with an office in Cleveland, Ohio as well. Mm -hmm. we're, we're reachable uh, via email uh, at info at keenadvisorygroup.com. Our main number is 312-396-4110. And the website is www.keenadvisorygroup.com. And Keen is spelled K-E-E-N-E. -E. Correct. Just want to make sure if someone would <laughs> like to reach you, they can do that. Thank you. <laughs> so just as a really quick recap, diversity matters not only because it's the right thing to do, but having people with different points of view who've had different life experiences really creates more robust decision-making, reduces risk, allows us to relate to our clients differently, and ultimately creates more bottom line success, more financial returns than companies that are more homogeneous. Correct. And so that's the business case for doing this. Sure. And whether you work with Eric or another firm like this, as leaders in responsible for attracting and retaining talent, it's both how do you attract them and how do you create the culture that enables them to choose to stay so that you get the return on investment that you were looking for in doing diverse recruiting. Very much so, and I would, I would add that different companies, and especially in different industries, are at different points on this journey. Mm -hmm. It doesn't change overnight. It is changing behavior over time and then seeing those results over time. But there's clearly something beneficial. And again, as we talked a little bit about mm -hmm. causal versus correlated earlier. There is there is benefit to being deliberate about these activities that mm -hmm. has positive reinforcing characteristics within organizations. Cool. Thank you for elaborating on that. So I am Maureen Metcalf. This is Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. I would love to hear your comments. Either email me, info at metcalf-associates.com, or find us on Facebook, Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. Let us know what you like. And if you are changing one behavior this week, let me know what you changed and how it worked for you. Thank you. Enjoy your day. Thank you again for joining us this week. Please tune in for another edition of Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations with Maureen Metcalf next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We hope you'll join us then. Drive and thrive and have a great week.